0: Hello, and welcome to Connecting the Pieces, an Eastern Sector Development Team podcast focused on connecting, supporting, and promoting good diversity, wellness, and reablement approaches. We would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional custodians of land where this podcast is recorded and pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging, and any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people listening. I'm Dale Park, Regional Advisor for Diversity and Wellness, and today I'm again pleased to have Sharon Porteous from the Inner East Primary Care Partnership as my co-host. This is the third in our series of podcasts focused on ageing well, ageism and elder abuse, and we are privileged to be joined by Sue McGrath, the Senior Policy Advisor to the Older Australians Campaign at the Benevolent Society. Sue has worked across a broad range of policy areas affecting older Australians and will provide insight into the issues, barriers and solutions to ageism within the workplace. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sue.
1: I'm very, very pleased to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. What are we talking about when we say there is ageism in the workplace and what does it look like?
2: Well, I might start by responding more generally on what ageism is, just so that we know what we're talking about before we talk about the workplace specifically. But the way we view it at Every Age Counts is that ageism is stereotyping, discrimination and mistreatment based solely upon age. Or another way to think about it is that ageism is how we think, how we feel and how we act towards others or ourselves based on the issue of age. So that's what we mean when we're talking about ageism. Now, we know that ageism can affect younger people as well. We're aware that that's the case. It operates differently, though, at different ages and stages of life. And our focus is really on older people and the way in which ageism plays out in their lives and for them. And one of the key reasons that our focus is on older people is the particularly appalling nature of the impact of ageism on older people. So it's associated example with earlier deaths by up to seven and a half years, uh, with poorer physical and mental health, with slower recovery from disability in older age. So it has this enormous impact on older people and is very hard to come back from. It's very hard to sort of find your footing again when ageism has really impacted on your life and on your self-image. And so If I then start to talk about how it operates in the workplace, it's in our communities, it's in our families, it's everywhere. Uh, So it's not been invented by the workplace. But often I see that people notice it first in the workplace. It's the first time that they've been treated to ageist comments or to feeling awkward about how people re- are reacting towards them, clearly based on their age. So it's it's a shock. It's often a shock to people and it's their first shock of ageism and, and where and it takes
0: place within the workplace. Are there particular times or situations that exacerbate ageism for people in the workplace?
1: It's
2: at its worst, in our view, when older people lose or leave their job and they're looking for another uh, another job or other work. Older workers are the largest group in receipt of JobSeeker Allowance, which used to be called New Start, so Unemployment Allowance. And as a group, it takes those people much, much longer to find a new job, if at all. And even if they do, they're often more likely not to get the hours that they need or the the pay that they were looking for. It also shows up in all aspects of work. begins with recruitment practices. There's both conscious and unconscious bias towards older workers. It's very common to find. It's often built even into the new algorithms that are being used by the big recruitment firms. And we also see it on the job where older people are much less likely to be offered training or professional development. And this is a real issue because it results in a catch 22. So when older people are going for a promotion or the job mobility, or they're trying to get a new job, they're often told that they don't have the skills. Yet they were often locked out of training and skills development in the later parts of their working life. So it's a real circular problem. One of the saddest things that I think about ageism in the workplace is that some older people report experiencing the humiliation of being parodied in age stereotyped ways by co workers. And this is very demeaning and very upsetting when it does take place.
1: Thanks, Sue. There's a lot of worrying. Uh, information in in, um, you know what you've said there can you tell us a bit more about the prevalence of ageism in the workplace in Australia what's the sort of data that we're seeing and hearing about the prevalence
2: well, there is more and more of it available and it's, ageism is generally acknowledged as the most common and the most accepted form of workplace discrimination. Our own Every Age Counts foundational research in 2017 and uh, 2018 identified workforce ageism as the biggest area of age discrimination that needs to be addressed and what i mean by this is that the surveys we did people told us that ageism in the workplace was the most was the highest priority to start dealing with and they identified it as a bigger problem or ahead of in priority terms, ahead of ageism in healthcare, in aged care, in the media, in the community and in uh, a number of other environments. And so it's really captured people's imagination who have observed it or are experiencing it in the workplace. There's also really important evidence that's emerged over several years now from the Australian Human Resources Institute and the Age Discrimination Commissioner. They've been doing a joint piece of research annually on older workers and employment issues around older workers. And each year, the report comes back from human resources professionals that there is indeed a cut-off age beyond which many organisations aren't willing to employ somebody. And that's generally between about 45 and 50, which is uh, particularly shocking given that it's actually illegal. And there's lots and lots of international and national research that just keeps on coming up now with various methodologies on how they're trying to work out whether ageism exists in the workplace. And repeatedly, they're coming up with the uh, findings that it is a real problem. And the word of older people themselves is really important. So we hear from so many older people who, I have to say, tell extremely similar stories about their experience of discrimination in the workplace and in trying to get work.
0: Yeah, I think we absolutely need to listen to what people are coming forward and telling us as well as the quantitative data that human experience we we can't ignore and i imagine that what comes forward with that is also very personal and very moving as well it's not just figures or numbers on a on a piece of paper
2: You're so right, Dale. And just a couple of days ago, I had a long discussion with a man who wanted to share both his own experience and what he'd observed with some of his co-workers who were also a bit older. And it was very hard and painful to listen to and I had uh, enormous respect for uh, his resilience in making his way through that and in his case eventually after a quite a long time finding uh, work again um, but it took the most extraordinary degree of perseverance for him to do so and, and the stories were very painful.
0: So if we're thinking about the the drivers of ageism at work Is there research that that looks at what these drivers are and is that sort of supported by those personal stories that you've also heard?
2: Yes, on both counts. But what I would like to do is to go beyond some of the surface reasons that are given for why it exists. And I want to go to where the Every Age Counts campaign really tries to focus it, which is around hearts and minds and around the stories and the narratives that sit underneath. And certainly the individuals, the stories from individual people that we've heard really back this up. So what I want to say here today is that we think that what's driving a lot of this are these storylines and the three big ones that we see at work all the time that end up in creating misery for older workers. That, The first one is that older people are taking jobs away from younger people and that there's a competition for jobs there and that older people should be making way. The second one we hear all the time is that productivity and performance of older people is much lower than that of younger people and that's got a whole series of things wrapped up in it, that older people um, are less skilled, that they are more inflexible, that they can't learn new things, that they're digitally illiterate, that they cost more, that they're often absent from work. So there's that whole bundle of things in there that say that they perform in less well ways and that they, therefore, their their contribution to the productivity of a workplace is much lower. Then the third one that I'll highlight, the sort of wash over the top that all older workers are exactly the same. And so there's no difference from somebody 45 to 75. There's no difference in somebody who's in an older worker in the city or in the country who is a woman or a man or transgender. There's this idea that once somebody moves past a certain age, they are just this block that are all exactly the same as each other. And these three storylines really tend to work together to really exclude older people and to make their lives in workplaces so much harder. Now... What we know from international research, including some research that's just come out uh, very recently from the OECD um, of countries across the world, is that there's just no truth in these storylines. And so somehow they're really built into people's views on older workers, not just in the workplace, but out there in the community. And so we've got to do enormous work to start to shift those attitudes, really.
0: That notion of a homogenous older person is one that we continue to have to fight against, and we've done a lot of work in our region to try and dispel that myth. We know that staff working directly with older people see their individuality, their diversity, day in, day out, but it's really important for us to remind ourselves that ageism just doesn't impact the people receiving services, but it also relates to our employees and potential employees. So I guess we need to keep challenging ourselves to see the entire diversity of older workers and recognise the strengths, values and skills that they bring.
2: I think that's a really important issue. And one of the things I noticed in that OECD report was what they ended up finding was that There was really very little difference between the attitudes and the motivations and the aspirations of workers who were young and workers who were older. And that what really made the difference in right across the age spectrum were, you know, individual personal experiences. There was as much diversity and in fact, more amongst older people
0: than um, amongst younger people just on those personal circumstances, characteristics, life experiences. Do you have any examples of how ageism can play out for men and women in different ways, or people from different cultural backgrounds, people with different abilities?
2: It's absolutely the right question to ask because it's, it is one of those issues about difference, and it, it's not only uh, you know is the is the diversity there amongst the people, it's also um, there in how different groups are treated. So if we if if we Take age as the sort of primary focus of this, then it plays out differently for different groups. What we know most about is the difference between men and women. The research shows that older women, particularly trying to get back into the workforce, uh, have a much harder time than older men do. So the job seeker allowance, where older people in general, form the largest grouping accessing job seeker allowance, unemployment benefit, and older women that are, are a larger grouping within within that. The difficulty women have had for many years, we know very much less. About cultural, linguistic, diverse older people in the workplace and about, say, Indigenous Australians in the workplace. These are areas where we need more research. We need to understand how this plays out for them and not assume that their experience is the same as you know, Anglo Celtic Australian, older Australians in the workplace. We're aware all the time that when we make calls for things, You need to have some nuance in there. You need to sort of understand the complexity of people's different experiences.
0: It's great to hear an acknowledgement and such a commitment to understanding the different ways in which ageing and ageism can impact people from different backgrounds and different communities. We know that if we don't look at how multiple forms of inequality Overlap And intersect, then all we'll be doing is reinforcing inequality on people already experiencing disadvantage. I want to move back a moment to something you started to talk about at the beginning of the podcast, which was around the legislation. And recognising that there is legislation protecting against age discrimination, but maybe it's not fully being adhered to or utilised. So could you take us through what legislation do we have and what protections exist?
2: Australia has an Age Discrimination Act at the federal level and it outlaws discrimination on the basis of age in the workplace as well as some other other components of it. And also this is backed up by anti-discrimination laws in most of the states and territories. So it's quite clearly established that there is a right to work for all ages, you know, there's not a use by date on your right to work. Any discrimination simply based on your age is unlawful. And then we have the reality where that law is often not adhered to. And it's only in these anonymized surveys, where people will own up to this, but no one is going to come out directly and say that this is what they're doing, because it's unlawful.
0: I think a lot of people would then be wondering, If we have this legislation, how does age discrimination keep on happening then?
2: I think there's a few reasons there. First one is that a lot of people don't know that, that, that they do have a right to work and that age is not grounds for them being fired or refused a job. So it's not really well understood in the community. A second aspect is that the uh, at the federal age discrimination level, how you get a remedy is you make a complaint. So it's a complaints-based mechanism and you have to go through a long process that is often beyond a lot of people. It's often they don't have the stamina or the motivation or the wherewithal, the know-how to enter into that process, that can be a bit of a barrier. And then a key barrier to using it is it's really hard to prove. It's hard to prove that the reason you didn't get an interview was your age. So it's a really hard thing to approve. So I think that it's critical that we have this legislation. It's really important it exists. But it's not enough. We need to change hearts and minds. We need to change our attitudes about who belongs in the workforce, who has a right to a job. And we really need to change that into a much more contemporary idea of a workforce. The time is long past to be relying on just small groups of people to be our workforce and to create the the economic benefit for um, our society
1: it sounds like going down that legislative path is a really complex and far less likely to have success uh, of, of choosing that pathway. So is one of the possibilities of promoting the benefits to employers of employing older workers, is that, a, is that another option in terms of changing those hearts and minds? Is that something worth considering? And, and what are the actual benefits? Look, you're absolutely right. And this is a
2: jigsaw. So you've got to put all the pieces together. And you know how when you start a jigsaw puzzle, you tend to start with the corners. Trying to encourage employers is one of those cornerstones. It's a really important piece there. And there's a few different things that can be done. But first of all, I'll say what's in it for employers. You know, the research shows unequivocally that now having intergenerational teams all bringing different kinds of skill sets together and working together and sharing and building on their strengths is an absolute benefit to both productivity and in the private sector to profitability. There's one piece of research after another now internationally and nationally that shows this and having a monochrome kind of workforce by age or any other factor is actually not what the economy of today requires for you to succeed. And so there's an enormous amount in it for employers to do this. It's a bottom line, just straightforward bottom line. The other thing is, as time goes on, Australia has an ageing population, as does the rest of the world. And so it it will be crucial, there'll be fewer younger people entering into the workforce it will be crucial to use the capability and skills of an older workforce and so starting to employers who start to shift now are getting ahead of the game and they will be the ones that will benefit as time goes on with this. It's Absolutely in their interest to do so. And the sooner the better, I would say, because those who don't start moving on diversity in general, and on age diversity, will find themselves in a very difficult labour market position as time goes on.
1: So is there a push by government to increase older workers within our society? Do you think that our government is pushing older workers to stay at work longer? And does your response there explain a little bit about why that's the case?
2: Yeah, look, I think you're absolutely right. One of the things I I ought to have said right at the beginning of this is that we are aware at Every Age Counts that not all people once they reach their 50s, 60s and 70s are able to work any longer. Some will have worked in very physically or mentally demanding jobs and an extended working life is simply not an option. We absolutely don't support forcing those people to continue on when they're not able to do so and for us it's the focus is much more on removing the barriers for those older people who do want to and need to continue to work. And this is very important in the context of the government policy stance. And so they're pulling their levers, as we say, to try to keep older people in the workforce longer. And the key lever that they use is raising the accessibility age to the age pension. That means that uh, for those people who will be relying largely or entirely on the age pension, they have to stay in work. And if they don't, if they lose their job, they'll basically have to exist on the poverty level job seeker payment, and they might draw down on their small amount of savings so that when they do enter retirement years, uh, they have even fewer resources to rely on. So governments are pushing for people to stay in the workplace. But what we don't believe governments are doing is recognising those ageist barriers, those deep-seated attitudes make it almost impossible for older people as a whole group to stay in work even when they want to and when they need to.
0: You've talked about some of the benefits for recruiting and retaining older workers. What are some other benefits that we haven't discussed so far?
2: What we see for those people who do want to continue to work, there are enormous personal benefits available for being in the workplace. So much of the research and what we hear directly from older people is that their well-being is enhanced when they stay in work. And so, you know, this has got to be remembered by all of us. For those people who want it, this is a a really
1: good thing to stay in work. Thanks, Sue. So what exactly are the barriers to employment that we need to remove that will support employers to keep employing and retaining older workers?
2: Really, this goes back to what I was saying about the storylines, the narratives about what an older person in the workplace is. And for our campaign, our main focus is to really try to shift the attitudes. And we will do that at every level. So. Because ageism is not specific to the workplace, we'll try and work with individuals out there in the world, in the workplace, or in families, in communities, with organisations, including employers, and with governments. And what we're trying to do is, at each of these levels, help that group of people to see ageism, to understand it to understand how it's working in their environment, what keeps sustaining it, and how to challenge the ideas and the storylines that are sustaining it in that environment. And right across the board, for everyone to try and change their view about ageing and older age and older people and try to remove the stigma attached to ageing. Try to recognise the value of later life as just as valid and important a stage of life as any other and having huge amounts of merit for the individual who lives it and also for the communities within which they live. And so, you know, at every level, we're trying to shift attitudes. And when it comes to government, what we really need government to do is to stand up and uh, speak out about the existence of ageism and the problem that it is for us as a whole society, the problem that ageism towards older people generates for everybody in society, for every age, and the ways in which it really undermines a social cohesion, the way it undermines our economic performance, the way, the way it undermines family relationships, and for governments to get out there and fund a campaign that tells us what ageism is, what it looks like in places, in areas like the workplace, and to really promote the idea of intergenerational and multi-generational connections. The evidence is really clear that where you do have really good multi-generational connections and other diversity in a workplace, productivity rises, profitability rises.
0: It's great to have you articulate the barriers, but it's even more important, I think, to also hear what some of the solutions and the actions are that we need to take in order to end ageism. This is the third in our series of podcasts looking at ageism, elder abuse and ageing well. And one of the reasons that we really wanted to do these podcasts was to keep on challenging ourselves on the ageist views and attitudes that Are influencing us and to make sure that we're addressing those ageist views. What advice would you have for managers, workers, recruiters back in the office who want to employ older workers or make environments more inclusive and welcoming for older people?
2: One issue that repeatedly comes up when asked how to make workplace is age-friendly. Older people themselves say that they're looking for flexible working arrangements. Now, they're not Robinson Crusoe with that, you know, they're not the only ones that are looking for flexible working arrangements. Increasingly, you know, most ages and stages of life for one reason or another want to have that. The pandemic has been very interesting for that because lots of employers have made their working arrangements much more flexible and, you know, the world didn't end and they've seen that it is possible to do. And then if we go back to one of our fundamental points is that older people aren't all the same and they need different things and want different things out of a workplace. And so just as it is with all other workers, it's engaging in conversation and working out What's the best way for them to make the best contribution to your organisation? What will help them to do that? What do they need? What do they need in terms of development and training? What do they need in, in terms of social interaction in the workplace? So it's about having the conversation and opening it up
0: and not assuming that an age equals a particular thing. Thanks for that information, Sue. For people who are wanting to reach out and get more information about Every Age Counts, and the work that you've been doing, where should they go?
2: Look, our website is the best first stop, and that's www.everyagecounts.org dot au and there's quite a lot of resources there there's a, a really good little quiz that you can do called am i ageist that helps you to just work out what's going on inside your own head as well as what goes on in the world and if you go to the website you can also take the pledge to end ageism and that gets you on our mailing list and
0: you can see everything that comes out from us from then on Sue and Sharon, thank you both for being part of the podcast today. It's been great to to have you on.
2: Thank you so much and all the best uh, to your listeners.
0: Thanks, Dale. And thank you for listening. This has been Connecting the Pieces, a podcast for the Eastern Sector Development Team. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out our website, esdt.com.au, for other resources and contact information the Eastern Sex Development Team is supported by the Australian Government Department of Health and although funding has been provided by the Australian Government, the materials and comments made do not necessarily represent the views or the policies of the Australian Government.